The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Good morning. Does this sound okay? I was remembering early in my practice getting the, a teaching about sort of, I guess it would be an, an analogy of what a fully awakened being was like. And this analogy was, or this image was of a, of a house, you know, and it's, and it's not that unusual for the self to be um, sort of sort of compared to a house or expressed as a, as, a, as a house with different rooms. And in this image, it was a house with um, all the lights on and all the doors open and all the windows open. And nobody was home. <laughs> you know, and, and that was sort of the, um, it, it just stayed with me. There's so, something about that, that it was like, in my image of it, it's this warm, wonderful place that's completely open, completely um, sort of like un, undefended, unguarded, but also totally safe, you know, it's completely safe. And, and so sometimes when I meditate, there's a, there's a, you know, rather than closing down and getting more narrow and more inside to some private, personal experience, it's I have this image of just opening all the sense doors, you know, we close our eyes here, but that's the one. That's the one. I usually keep my eyes closed, but sometimes they're open. But this, but this sense of just letting, letting experience flow through, letting the world flow through, where there's no... It, to talk about inside and outside doesn't make much sense. You know, it's like... Um, and so I that can be a nice model for meditation of, of, and then in a way it's like nothing can be an obstacle because it's just, it's just flowing through. It's, if we have an idea that there shouldn't be any thinking during meditation, then when thoughts come up and we get sort of distracted and, and lost into our, the contents of our thoughts, we may think, oh, this is a problem, and I have to sort of come back. Or if we have the idea that meditation is silent, and then there's some sounds on the street, or some sounds in the room, or something, we may think, oh, you know, there shouldn't be a sound. I should, you know, it should be perfectly silent. But if we're totally open, and all the doors and all the windows are open, it's like every sound 
is just an invitation to be present. Every thought is just an invitation to notice, oh, there's thinking that's happening. So, um, somewhat connected to this idea of the self as a, as a house with rooms in the house, this past weekend, I um, finally got up the courage to tackle one room in my house. <laughs> you know, that room. <laughs> that I think for some people it's the garage or the attic or the basement or the... It's the place where things go in. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> they never leave. They just accumulate. <laughs> and there's something about my own disposition that I don't really like to throw things away because I might need it at some point. You know, that note that someone wrote me 10 years ago, I might need, I want to look at again. So, but also not having any system, really any filing system. This was a room, kind of a kind of basement room that just became this, um, um, sort of like had a dungeon feeling. My wife would call it your dungeon. (laughs) Books stacked everywhere and papers and various different things. And um, so with the help of a friend, I spent a few days just, um, just sorting through things and and, um, going through a process of organizing and letting go and evaluating and it was so unexpectedly wonderful um just making a little progress was wonderful and you know that feeling of oh there's a little more space in here oh there's a little and letting go of what was not needed anymore was just this wonderful feeling this i didn't realize the the sort of psychic weight of the probably maybe 150 pounds of paper that I have in big plastic bins waiting to go to be shredded. Um, it was like, wow, just to get let go of all of that. It feels so good. And, um, and then there's this beautiful room, this spacious room that's, that is... Um, empty, empty in a way that it wasn't before. I could, I could perceive the emptiness that maybe was there, but it was, it was so filled with things. And so in a way, maybe Dharma practice, meditation practice, there's this parallel process of, of letting go, of emptying out, you know. It's like the mind gets filled with things, with experiences, with ideas, with, with fixed views. Um, and maybe we're, we're keeping in the mind things that we don't need anymore, that aren't relevant, that don't apply to us, that um, they had a purpose at one point. Um, but but so, 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 so letting go, go you know, um, going through this process of, of letting go 
And what we can discover is a spaciousness, that an emptiness that makes room, room for, um, room for what we, what we value, what we need. More, there's more room to love, there's more room to um, have what we want and w- without all of that clutter. Um, so sometimes there's this, some meditation is compared to this emptying out process. Um, as part of this, as part of this um, letting go and organizing, and I discovered some treasures <laughs> that I knew I was holding on to them for some reason, and there I never would have found them. They were so buried in all the sort of piles of junk. Um, this is a bookmark <laughs> with four four Japanese characters, and they are characters that are part of the Heart Sutra, which is one of the the key key Buddhist text, key Mahayana Buddhist text, and it's pronounced Shin Mu Kege Shin Mu Kege, which is usually translated as the mind is without hindrance, or mind has no hindrance. Shin is mind, mu is no. So the mind is without hindrance. And um, this is referring to this empty, this emptiness that is not nothingness, but is this vibrant, alive state, vibrant, alive way things are. This, here's the commentary on this by this wonderful Japanese teacher, Shohaku Okamura. When we see emptiness, we realize there's no hindrance, no obstacles to block our life force. It is soft and flexible, like a plant that tries to go around a big rock and continues to grow. There is always some other way to live, to grow. I love this sense of softness, of flexibility. Um, I think the word emptiness in English, maybe it has a, it, it sort of could have a feeling of a kind of coldness or an absence. And this is like, this is, this is talking about this softness or the softness of water, how water goes around things. Or I also think of bamboo the strength in bamboo is in its flexibility. It's, if we become very um, tight, or very contracted, or very rigid, there's actually a brittleness in that. And, you know, I think about in Japan, in Tokyo, there are these big skyscrapers, and now they've learned to build them on um, sort of springs. <laughs> you probably know that in Japan, there's, I think there's more seismic activity and more earthquakes than in almost anywhere else in the world. And so 
rather than trying to find the strongest material they can possibly find, it's like, no, build in the softness. What is it like to be so soft that um, we can move? When, when the ground moves, we can move with the ground. And one of the truths of, um, of Dharma, of the teachings of Dharma, is that everything moves, everything changes. If we're looking for some solid ground that never moves, um, we may be disappointed. So, so something about learning to move with things, learning to harmonize with the changing nature of things. So, so that's... So that's this sense of emptiness that maybe can open when we let go. More and more we let go of what's not needed or we let go of what's not true. Um, emptiness as a kind of truth that it's the space, but it's also the things. You know, it's also the things in the room. It's like... Um, so in, the, in, this, in this text, the Heart Sutra, they talk about form is emptiness. Emptiness is form. Form is exactly emptiness. Emptiness is, is exactly form. Um, form, the nature of form is empty, is emptiness. So it's like, it, it's already here. It's like there's nothing, there's nothing that's not it. There's nothing that's not empty. And when we have this feeling of emptiness as form, we don't have to look for a special state that's only when I get the room completely pristine or pristine, completely emptied out of everything then we can enjoy the emptiness. It's like, if, if things are empty, if their nature is emptiness, then um, it, it's, it's, okay, it's already there. And, then, and so there can be this way of meditating that is... Um, has a quality of non-doing. It has a quality of accepting things just as they are. And rather than um, sacrificing this moment to get to a better moment, a more peaceful moment, a more empty moment, it's like being fully here with however our experience is, however our life is in this moment. And when we can drop into that way of being, it's, um, you know, there's something wonderful about it. And it is, um, it's so, uh, it has this very receptive quality. Um, there's, there's nothing, there's nothing we need to do. There's nothing, even, it's like this moment, regardless of the particular content of the moment, is just what's happening. 
and has value and is worth being mindful with, worth being present with. And so we start to have this sense of the particular content of the moment is not as important as how I relate to it, how I am with it, how present, how fully present I can be with it. Um, and I think this this quality of non-doing or this quality of recognizing the the emptiness that's there, for me, in a way, there's there's something sacred about it. It's like it's, it's then we're entering a realm that's sacred. Um, not not in a theological sense, not not necessarily even in a religious sense, but there's there's a something sacred about opening with full presence to things just as they are right now. Not pushing anything away, not trying to shape it into being what I want it to be. And I I think we know that, 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 so I think of the sacred as, I'm I'm still sort of finding my way or sensing my way into how to think about it, but something about the sacred is having this quality of full presence with truth, with something that's true. And I think we have these moments in our lives or we remember these moments. Um, I, the other weekend, I was at our retreat center and um, we had a very nice three-night three retreat and I was giving a talk on impermanence. Impermanence and mortality, and someone was, um, I, you know, I think maybe, maybe, maybe through the content of that of that talk or what that stirred up, was experiencing a lot of grief and was really feeling that and was really expressing that, and there was something very beautiful about it, very touching. Um, it helped everybody in the room to just be present with. Uh, her grief, and I had this 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 phrase came into my mind of sacred grief. You know, there was something sacred about that, and about her full expression of it, or full allowing of it. Um, I, you know, f- for some people, the moment of or the time of childbirth or of giving birth. You know, there can be something sacred about that, of, of, of the truth of that moment and being so present with it, so alive to it, so awake to it. Um, there, the, when my daughters were born, they were born in Japan with this, in this birth clinic that I, I believe the, the physician was one of the pioneers in Japan of natural childbirth of this, you know, when that was a mo- more of a movement. He's, he's getting old. I think he's retired now, but he, at a, at a certain point, maybe 10 or 15 years ago, at the clinic, they published a book. And the book was just of the expressions of mothers, of the faces of mothers, to hold their babies for the first time. Have you just gone through this process and they're giving their, their babies and they're holding the babies? And it's this indescribable emotion on the faces of, 
of the mothers, of these new mothers. And they're all different in a certain way, but they all have a certain sacred quality to it, a certain feeling of it. So there's something about opening to, I mean, those are extreme examples. And so the idea is that um, this is available to us in each moment. You know, it's not like we have to either be at the moment of our death or the moment of someone else's death or the moment of birth or to be a sort of Olympic figure skater and have that kind of presence and that kind of poise. And we have, as beautiful as it is, as, as, as amazing as it is, there's something that in the ordinary moments, this is available. There's this teaching, this Zen teaching of um, sort of, if you, if you go after it, if you look for it, you've already stumbled past it. <laughs> That's how close it is. That's how ordinary it is. Maybe. Um, this is another treasure that I found in, in the room. And it was, it's a manuscript of a book by a wonderful Buddhist teacher, Michael Wenger, who teaches in San Francisco. He was part of San Francisco Zen Center for many years. And this is a, a short teaching story, and it's in the style of the Japanese koan tradition, where there's a little, a short story, usually an encounter between a teacher and a student, and then there's sort of some commentary around it. And so Michael has put together a book of what he calls Contemporary American Buddhist Koans. Contemporary American Buddhist sort of teaching stories or riddles. And the book is called 33 Fingers. And the idea is that teachings in Buddhism are sometimes described as fingers pointing to the moon. So these are 33 fingers pointing to the moon or 33 moons or however you, you see it. And, and this manuscript was the revised version, which is now called 49 fingers. More, more koans have been discovered, added. So I think this is for case 37 and it's called Style is Very Important. Just as a little background, Maureen Stewart, who is the student in the story, became a, um, one of the first well-known um, Western women Zen teachers. And her teacher was Soen Roshi, who was a very revered Japanese master. When Maureen Stewart first met her teacher, Soen Roshi, the two sat quietly for some time in meditation. Afterward, he informed her that he would agree to be her teacher and mentioned that he was very impressed with her style. When Maureen objected and offered her opinion that style was superficial and should not be considered nearly as important as sincerity, effort, and good intention, Soen said, no, no, no. Style is very important. So that's, that's the case. 
Style is very important. Here's the commentary. What is important and what is superficial is often enmeshed in one another, like the gestalt figure-ground pictures, where one interpretation hides the other. You know those pictures of the, it could be a young girl or an old woman, depending on how you see it, the figure-ground. If you think something is unimportant, you may not give it enough attention. If you feel it's important, you may ignore something else. This is one of the interesting aspects of our practice. What is important? What is not important? You know? And often we have some idea of we think something is really important and we focus on that and we may neglect other things. Um, So there's this wonderful way of practicing that is uh, reminds us that giving attention to the small details of things, the small details in our life is actually important and is, it's, it's a reflection of our mind. It's a reflection of our practice. Um, I talked to somebody who is the partner, the spouse of a teacher colleague, and he said something that made me kind of sad. And he said, I don't like going to teacher, teacher events because I feel invisible. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm nobody, I'm invisible, no, you know. And I just thought, wow, what, you know, um, this, this is exactly what this is talking about. When we think, you know, some people in the room are important and we focus on them, then the other people may become invisible. And, or if we're, if we're at a, a restaurant and we're talking to people uh, th- that we're with, and then maybe the, the people who are helping, who are serving, who are cooking, they're invisible, you know, you know, or maybe they're not invisible. Maybe we take the time to talk to them and say hello and, and, and have a very nice encounter. Um, so it's just a question. It's, in, it's a question of what's important, what's not important. So he says, if you think something is impo- unimportant, you may not give it enough attention. If you feel that it's important, you may ignore something else. If everything is empty without self, best to give it absolute value. So if everything is empty without self, um, best to give it absolute value. That there is a way of relating to things that's not comparing, that's not in the realm of comparing, this is better, this is worse, this is important, and all these things are not important. It's like each, each thing, each person is so itself that it's beyond comparison. I mean, this is one of the things that I think can sometimes become so clear in, in working with children or being with children that each child is sort of 
so fully themselves. You know, they haven't, especially young children, haven't been so socialized into sort of being a certain way or thinking a certain way. And each child is so original and so um, special and, and just can't really be compared. Like to compare them is sort of misses something essential. Um, so traditionally in these teaching stories, there's the story, there's the commentary, and then there is the verse, which is sort of this little poem or little um, expression of, of the truth of, of the story. So here's the verse. The way you dress manifests in the 10,000 worlds of the Eastern Quarter. Sincerity and effort are demonstrated in how you drink your tea. The physical world is not outside. Sure. The way you dress manifests the 10,000 worlds of the Eastern Quarter. Sincerity and effort are demonstrated in how you drink your tea. You know, this very ordinary opening the car door, drinking our tea, picking up a mess on the floor, uh, talking to a waiter, a server, um, manifests our mind, manifests our practice. Um, Nothing is outside of our practice and the physical world is not outside. You know, how, how I care for my physical environment, um, all the different rooms in the house is, they really are my mind, you know, in some way. There's, there's this great story of people who would sit with Suzuki Roshi who was one of the you know, founding, founding teachers of, of Buddhism in America, in San Francisco. And they would all be waiting for him to come in and give the talk. And he would walk in very slowly. And then before sitting down, go to the altar and arrange the flowers in the vase, take his time arranging the flowers. And my friend said, it was like, he really was arranging our minds. <laughs> there was this sense of, you know, there was the boundary between inside and outside not being so clear. Um, or another story, someone would straighten a painting that was crooked on the wall, and then when he would get down and, and leave the the meditation hall after his talk, he would return it to being crooked. <laughs> you know, great teaching in there. Great teaching. And so it's, it's, um, I appreciate this sense of, um,
know, that we don't need to do so much. It's already there. And, um, but bringing our full presence to things, however they are, maybe is a doorway into the sacred, is, an, is a doorway into this absolute, the absolute value. If everything is empty without self, best to give it absolute value. Um, I think we can have the idea that even with Dharma practice, there's some special state that we're aiming for. And I think these teachings are pointing to that it's not about a special state. It's not about any place we land, but really when we relate to things in a certain way, that's all there is. It's like form is emptiness. Emptiness is form. Um, But in a way it's so ordinary it's easy to miss. It's easy to, it's easy to stumble past it. Um, so those are some, so, so those are some of the thoughts I had on um, cleaning the rooms, cleaning the rooms in our in our house and. If there's any learning from my experience or encouragement, it's that we don't need to fear those, those, um, those daunting spaces that are filled with things. That, that it's, I, and I think part of my reluctance of, of going into it, it was hard to be with, hard to face. And there are definitely parts of ourselves or parts of our mind that can be difficult to be with, with difficult emotions and difficult things that are stirred up. But um, that willingness to sort of wade into the, into the mess and be patient with it and begin to see that there are things when we, when, it's like when we can see so clearly that the, I don't need this anymore, the letting go happens on its own. And, um, and in the process of that letting go, we get to see some of the treasures that have been there, that have been buried, or have been sort of under, under all of those papers and all of those things that we uh, have been saving for some reason. And um, we get to enjoy those treasures. So, Does anybody, so thank you very much for, for, for your attention. And does anybody have any, we have some time, does anybody have any thoughts on this or questions or your own, your own experience with exploring the rooms of, of, your, of your being? When, <clears throat> when you were referring to the bookmark, you used the word sacred several times, and it struck me then that I have no 
sense of what I would mean by the sacred. I wonder if you have any thoughts about how one might, in my situation, might go about discovering whether there is something mm. sacred and whether that's a valuable. Ah, beautiful. Thank you. Um, it's interesting. It's a word that I, too, didn't quite um, know how to define for myself or only recently feels like in my practice it's been coming up. It's, it's had more resonance. Um, and my way into it is, is through the, the sort of this, um, through the doorway of, I, I, the way I would say it is the doorway of tenderness, of something that what, what for me opens up a, a place of tenderness or of poignancy or there's a sort of emotional quality to it. There's a, and I think it's, there's probably similarities, but I think there are different ways in. Um, It's like that quality of um, being really touched by something. And for most of us, because we have learned and needed to develop sort of um, sort of thick skin and calluses and, you know, and just kind of, you know, this sort of sense is if, you, if you're touched by everything, it's like it's, you can't, you know, get to work on time if you're just, you know. So we, we learn to sort of divide the world and divide experience into, um, you know, what's, um, what, what, what we need to keep at a distance. But inevitably, something breaks through. And then, and then so letting whatever breaks through, whatever has broken through and has really touched us, sort of remind us. And that, at least that for me is the... So it's something about being with my children or something about being with um, people I've been with or who've, who've, who've been through that dying process. And that for me has, has been a doorway. Grief. Has, has certainly been a doorway. The, the, and then it's like, what is it about those moments? I think the contents of those moments are, are profound and beautiful, but maybe it's more to do with the, the full presence, the undefended presence that they evoke. It's like that openness, that radical openness. Um, and then it's like we start to see how, oh, I've been dividing the world all this time between what's sacred, which is really tiny, <laughs> and then everything else, which is just sort of ordinary. And is there a way of perceiving experience that is beyond the divisions between ordinary and sacred? And so this sense of what's sacred in this absolute sense is beyond just the sacred and ordinary. It's like, it's like each thing has its own 
um, absolute value, which which for which for me has that feeling of, of sacred. So, and so that so my so so the way in that you can kind of play with is f- full presence with something with truth, you know. So full presence in an open, un, unguarded way with truth. Um, yeah, you're welcome. Well, not to dominate, but uh, the the talk you've given this morning also reminds me a lot of uh, one of my favorite verses from the Tao Te Ching that goes um, that reads in Stephen Mitchell's translation like um, we join spokes together in a wheel, but it is the center hole that makes the wagon move. We shape clay into a pot, but it is the emptiness inside that holds whatever we want. We hammer wood into a house, but it is the inner space that makes the house livable. We work with being, but non-being is what we use. Oh, beautiful. Thank you. You're really nice. Um, I really resonated with everything you said today. Um, I love the idea of sitting and opening all the doors and windows. How and how... Mm, can you talk a little bit about that paradox of sitting to meditate with inti- with, without expectation... Because, um, yeah, so that it, so, because I, I really resonate with the truth of all that you say, and I can experience that oftentimes. But the act of meditating intentionally can yeah. often bring up that expectation or the critic or the yes. effort. Yes. So how to allow grace to happen put yes. ourselves in the way of grace without monkeying with it yeah thank you yeah I, I love the word grace and I think that really that also sort of evokes this that um, if I w- had led a guided meditation in the sitting what I would have talked about is um invited everyone not to meditate <laughs> and, and led a sort of non-meditation because there's something about meditation that for all of its benefits and for all of its blessings can bring up in us a, a, do, a doing that has an agenda, that has expectations, that has a technique, that has a sort of way of getting it right or wrong, doing it better or doing it not so well. And there can be a value in that, but I think at a certain point, that gets let go of, or, and we sort of start to um, 
somehow see through that or see that, that there's something extra that's added in that. And however, whatever words we use, it's sort of like um, there's a way that we can sit with, with full intention to be present, to be here, and then to open to the experience of the moment and um, sort of allow, allow, allow something to happen. And so it, it, it sort of has a quality of grace or surrender. Surrender is another word I really like. Um, there is a, I mean, I think most, most of us may be familiar with the story of the Buddha's awakening of sitting in meditation all night and then um, seeing the morning star, looking up and seeing the morning star. And usually it's like, and, and then, then he was awakened or awakened with all beings or something like that. There is a beautiful um, translation of that that I, I can't remember which, I, it, I think it's a, a Japanese teacher, but I can, it might be Kobenchino, I'm not sure. But he said, the Buddha looked up and saw the morning star and it took him. You know, it took him, you know. And so it's like what to let um, our experience just take us. And it's not that there was something so special about the morning star. It's like when we are open and we are un, undefended and balanced and fully present, it's just the, the chime of a new text message can take us, you know, or the, you know, the most ordinary thing. Um, so I think it's, it's helpful. So I offer this sort of way of practicing as a little bit of a balance to sort of the do, what can become the busyness or the doing practice of mindfulness or possibly like, okay, be mindful of the breath and then be mindful of, of sensations and then be mindful of thoughts. And yeah, that's, that's what we're doing. But it's sort of like, how do I hold it? And it's like, it's very subtle. It can be very subtle. It's like just to notice, is there some leaning into experience? That's for me, it can be a little physical. Is there leaning in to wanting something to happen or to being a little more tight around doing something called mindfulness rather than just relaxing and allowing something? So the energetic quality um, is a big part of it for me. And then it's just, it just takes that remembering. You know, mindful pra- mindfulness itself may not be a doing, may be a sort of a being, being mindful. And then it's just a remembering, oh, mindfulness is here. You know, and that, and that so, so I think it's great. It's a great question. And it's, that you're aware of that distinction is, is the main thing. Is so, if we, if we don't ha- have an awareness of that there's something extra added, when I'm doing this and I'm doing this and I'm doing this, then we're sort of, we're lost in it. 
But just to be aware of it, of that doing, it's like often something can relax. And then we learn to trust that, that softness more than, you know. And then if we're soft and we're really spacey and the mind is just daydreaming the whole, the whole sitting, we may, you know, add a little energy to it and add a little, a little direction or, or bring the breath into, into focus a little bit more. So it's, so it's really, it's like riding a bicycle. And, but thank you. Okay, well, thank you very much. And enjoy, enjoy the day. Thank you.